Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Jason Greer is the author of Bias, Racism, and the Brain, and the founder of Greer Consulting, the number one firm that does diversity training for startups, Fortune 500 companies, as well as government agencies. The truth is that most diversity training programs fail. On the other hand, if they are done right, they can reduce turnover rate by as much as 40% and increase your employee satisfaction scores by 30%. The best part? Your bottom line is also increased. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Have you been wanting to launch your podcast and just haven't found the right resources? I launched Master Leadership Podcast in 2016, and it now ranks in top 1% globally. I've gathered all I've learned and created Master Your Podcast in a Weekend course on Master Your Swag app so that you have everything you need to share your voice with the world, minus those excuses. So download Master Your Swag app on Google or Apple platforms to access the Master Your Podcast course and launch your podcast this weekend. Welcome, Jason Greer. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really well, looking forward to this. That million dollar smile you have. <laughs> Thank is, you. Is taking my energy up. We're excited to have you. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Hey, let's rock. Let's do it. Let's rock. Let's do it. All right. So tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Yeah, great question. I had the craziest path to leadership because I never thought I would ever be a leader. You know, I came out of undergrad in 1996. So I'm dating myself here. I'm 48 years old. Thought that I was going to be a social worker because I got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree in social work and really thought that that's where all my energy, all my focus was going to go. And uh, became a board agent with the National Labor Relations Board, got another master's at the University of Illinois in human resources management. And somewhere down the line, I decided that I wanted to get into the world of consulting and uh, met this man who at the time was one of the top consultants in the country. He basically brought me on board. And for a year and a half, I was up and down these highways 22 days a month, learning essentially what has fueled my business to this very day. But I will tell you that I don't think that I really became a leader to maybe around 2008 when I actually started bringing employees on board. So I founded my company, Greer Consulting Inc., GCI for short. I'm the founder and the president. I am affectionately known in the industry as the employee whisperer. Love it's it. name, well, it's the craziest thing because it's not a name that I gave myself. Mm -hmm. um, it found out that my clients were actually telling people, you need to call the employee whisperer because of my ability to come in and to get to know 
you know, the issues and concerns of the employees and then to communicate that to management and executives in a manner, and not only which they understood it, but, you know, really coming up with actionable steps. And these steps were 100% driven by what we were being told by the employees. So when I look at my path to leadership, it definitely was not a straight line path because over the course of that, you know, I have had numerous successes. I mean, I'm going to tell you that GCI, my company, we're in the top 5% now of employee and labor relations consultants of the country. Um, hey, thank you. I'm a two-time best-selling author. My most recent book, uh, Bias, Racism, the Brain, that I co-authored with uh, my colleague and one of my best friends, Phil Dixon, has become an international bestseller. So it's been a crazy ride to get to where we are. So that's been my path to leadership. Wow. So, you know, I have an affinity towards social workers. I just happen to think that it's because I work in school buildings and sure. I happen to think that they would make the best principals and the best leaders oh. because uh, of their understanding of social emotional development. Yes. And their work. Oh, 100%. I'm going to tell you this. So oftentimes, because I do a lot of lecturing to college students, high school students, proud to say that I founded a scholarship on my father's name at my old high school the Dr. Jerome Greer Scholars. And one of the questions that, especially high school students will ask me is what should I major in? And I say this without even flinching, major in social work. And they're not expecting it because they figure since I'm in the world of business and I've done well in business, they figure that I would say, you know, get your business degree, then go and get your MBA, things like that. Man, look, social work legitimately teaches you how to understand people, how to read people's nonverbals and really a person can tell me 100 things out of their mouth, but I'm really gauging what their eyes are saying, what their body's saying. Is their posture, is it open? Is it closed? Where are they? Those are the kinds of things that social work taught me how to do because I got into business. Look, I don't have any type of business degree. I have a master's degree in human resources management, which gave me some inkling about business. But what I learned about business was really being there front and center, observing and watching things based on my social work training. And, and you know what? It's a people business. 100%. No matter what you do, you have to deal with people. And so the fact that you had that foundation really, I believe, helped in your leadership and connecting. You call it a crazy ride, but I call it just a thread that ran through your career. Um, yes. And where you needed to be, you were being prepared for leadership a long time ago without even knowing it. So I love that. Thank you for that. I love it too. So, okay. So tell us a bit more about your book, Bias, Racism, and the Brain. Where can we get it? Where can we connect with you? Yeah, great question. So you could definitely get it on Amazon. You know, I'm going to tell you this when I'm in interviews, I always go back to the George Floyd moment mm -hmm. because, you know, there are certain moments I think in our lifetimes that we all share, right? We remember 9-11. We remember, you know, most recently George Floyd because we were all home for the most part. Right. And it just so happened that uh, both my wife and I were fielding calls from people that we hadn't spoken to in decades. Many of them who happened to be white, who saw the video of George Floyd being assassinated. And then all of the accompanying questions that came up regarding the Black Lives Matter movement. And really for so many people, and I was astounded by this, how many people who happened to be white who didn't know that racism was still a thing, right? And so when they reached out to us, some of it was along the lines of tell us about your experiences, but it was also along the lines of what can we do? So I reached out to Phil and said, man, I have the craziest idea. And Phil Dixon, 
please look him up because the man is tremendous. He's extraordinary. Bill is one of the foremost authorities in the world of brain-based leadership. So the neuroscience of leadership. And I said, Phil, I have this crazy idea. So you taught me all of this wonderful stuff about the brain. What if we took my experiences growing up as an African-American man in the United States and we combine that with what you know of the brain so that we're actually showing people that racism in itself, look, we've been living under the belief that from a theoretical standpoint, there should be no difference in human beings, regardless of what part of the world you come from, regardless of who you are, regardless of your race, gender, sexual orientation. We understand theoretically that we should get along, but there are all these barriers that stop us from really empathizing with one another. And what Phil has taught me and what I've since gone on to learn is that the one thing that we have in common is our brains. But unfortunately, our brains are telling our a story about the outside world that 99.9% .9 of it is not true because the brain is designed to keep you safe. But in the process of keeping you safe, the brain is telling you a story about someone who doesn't look like you, talk like you, think like you. That's not true because your brain is saying that that person might be a threat to you. Therefore, you need to run. Right. And so what we did was we took my stories, we filtered it through the lens of the brain and then put it out there thinking that, and hence our book, Bias, Racism, and the Brain. And we honestly believed that we might get maybe sell 10 copies. It was stuff we were going to give to clients. And, you know, anybody who had questions about what can they do, we we're going to give them a free book. Well, I remember calling Phil three months later saying, brother, I don't know if you realize this, but our book is now an international bestseller. What? Right? It. <laughs> so it just, you know, I always say that we caught lightning in a bottle because it was sort of the right time, right place. And I think even bigger than that, it was people were open to having the conversation. At the right place, right time, and with the right heart. Yes. Um, that's how you come in. So I know that Greer Consulting is the number one firm that does diversity training for startups. So tell us a little bit about that. And I mean, we need this. Yes, absolutely. So everything that we do is filtered through the brain. So we have a diversity training that is brain-based diversity training where oh. we take people and, you know, we spend so much time, like I'll give an example. So we talk about, I'm sure you've heard of unconscious bias, Yes. right? And there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of research, there are a lot of trainings around the idea of unconscious bias. But I'm going to tell you that I don't believe that there's such a thing as unconscious bias. Okay. Right? Okay. All right. right? So, 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 so have some fun with me for a second. Have some fun with me for a second. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's, okay. two, what's two plus two? Four. What's three plus three? Six. What's five plus five? Ten. What, 17 times 359? I don't know. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Don't worry about it because most people don't know. Right? <laughs> most people don't know. See, here's the amazing thing about our brain. When we say that we have unconscious bias, and let me say for the record for your listeners, bias has received such a, there's such a negative connotation around the term bias, but the reality is bias is really good. Wow. Right? Okay, go ahead. Bi bi bias is a wonderful thing because I'll give you an example of a bias. You know, when I was a kid, I put my hand on the stove because I thought it was pretty and then I burned myself. So what my brain says going forward is don't put your hand on the stove because you don't want to burn yourself. That's, That's right. a bias, mm -hmm. right? That keeps me safe. Okay. Now, when I asked you what two, what three plus three was, you automatically said six. I asked you what five plus five was, you automatically said 10. You didn't have to think. 
That's your brain at a non-conscious level that wants to keep you safe and does not want to divert precious resources that are necessary to really think. So you're walking around with all of these stories that your brain has cobbled together from your experiences, from your you know, genetic socialization, from your family's history. And it's filtering your life through that non-conscious. Because if we say something's unconscious, look, I'm 6'3", 275 pounds. I look like I should be able to just you know, crush whatever in my hands because I'm that big and that strong. Rabbits, I can't fight, <laughs> not in the slightest. So if I were to get into a fight right now, I would get knocked unconscious, which means I would be completely offline, right? I have to send you a Kevin Hart Instagram thing. I have to send it to you. Please do, because I love Kevin Hart. Yeah. But if I get knocked unconscious, that means that I'm offline, right? right? But here's the thing about our brain. Our brain is never offline, ever. Our That's brain right. is on 24 seven, 365 days, and it is consistently telling us a story about the outside world. But we're not always aware of what those stories that our brain is filtering our experiences through. One of the things that I experienced in my life was, and I still do to this day, actually happened to me again this morning, is that when I happen to walk past women, many of whom happen to be white, they do this thing called the clutch. Have you ever heard of the clutch? Mm -hmm. The clutch is, for your listeners, is essentially they will clutch their purses, mm -hmm. right? Because it could be a variety of things. Right. I used to think that the reason why they clutch their purses is because they were racist, right? Because since I was age 12, I've generally been bigger than a lot of people my age. I'm not age 48. I'm still bigger than a lot of people my age, right? But there could be other things that are going on that have absolutely nothing to do with race. And watch this. There's a good possibility that some of those folks that are clutching their purses have absolutely no idea that they're clutching their purses. I believe that. But from a non-conscious standpoint, what their brain is saying, I have to keep you safe. And so they clutch their purse because that's the only thing of value that might be visible in that moment. Does right. that kind of make sense? It, it does kind of make sense. But I'm still not convinced that unconscious bias doesn't exist. But here's the thing. And I got to make sure that I'm careful about terms. Mm -hmm. Yes. The reason why I say unconscious bias doesn't exist is because our brain's never offline. The reality is that our brains are a bias generating machine. So I replace the term unconscious with non-conscious. We're simply not aware of what those stories are. But here's the amazing thing about our brain is that the moment that I become aware of my story, I have the ability to change. That's right. That is absolutely right. And it's so fascinating to me that we live in this world. We're so interconnected. Right. I mean, we're so interconnected through technology, through social media, and yet we're more disconnected than we've ever been. Because the moment that you step outside of that social media world and you walk around your neighborhood, for a lot of people, they're walking around neighborhoods full of people who look just like them. They attend churches or places of worship with people who look just like them. And the only time that they actually encounter people who are different than them might be on the job. But there's all of these perspectives that they're coming in with that are filtered around the idea of what they know to be normal. And they try to apply that to people who are different than them, right? And when those people who are different than them act in a certain way, what the brain automatically says is that person is wrong because they're not acting like you. Right. It's all about awareness. It's 100%. Once we become aware of something, then it's no longer 
non-conscious or unconscious. Right. It's in our awareness and then we can do something about it. This is heady stuff and I'm, I'm a little <laughs> slow on the draw. Right. Now you're doing, you're doing <laughs> awesome. You're, you're killing it. You're killing it. I promise you. You're killing it. Eventually I get it. <laughs> no, you're great. Right. So one of the things that I've learned through your work is that most diversity training programs fail, right? Yes. Why does that happen? Great question. I think, I think it's for a variety of reasons. I think that one of those reasons might be the intention behind the training. And this is why we've done so well with our diversity trainings is we come in with the idea that I'm going to talk to you about some of these surface level things that we can see, race and gender, Right but we're going to go deeper. So, so often when diversity trainers come in, and I think there are a ton of wonderful diversity trainings in the country, not around the world, but they come in from this perspective of, I'm going to teach somebody something, usually about me, right? So I'm gonna come into this group that might be 99.9% .9 white, and I'm gonna teach them about the African-American perspective. Well, if in teaching about the African-American perspective, I'm making you feel bad because you're not African-American, I'm making you feel bad because you don't understand racism. I'm making you feel bad because you don't understand X, Y, Z. Well, getting back to the term bias, the brain automatically kicks into confirmation bias, mm -hmm. where one of the most amazing things is walk up to somebody and tell them they're racist. It's based on something they've said, yeah. right? The default is usually, well, my best friend is black, right? <laughs> or I've done this with black people. Or, I've done this with Asian folks. I've done this with Latinx. Well, what the brain is automatically doing is it's trying to find all of these reasons why that allegation has been thrown at them that caused a threat state in the brain is incorrect. So there's that element of, I think too many diversity trainers talk at people as opposed to bringing people into their stories. I think the other side of that is diversity trainings often fail because there's nothing in the environment that roots the teachings and the learnings from that diversity training into the environment after people leave. Right. It's not a one and done. It can't be. In the slightest. And I think there's also, whether it's diversity trainings, whether it's diversity initiatives, I generally tell my clients and I generally tell people, if you're going to embrace diversity, first, make sure that your organization's ready for diversity. Right. Because there's no shame in saying we're not ready for this, because I'd much rather you say we're not ready for it than to spend all this money and all this time developing a, whatever your diversity initiative might look like. Then you go out and you hire a bunch of diverse candidates and you bring them into an environment that's not ready for them. You end up burning through a ton of money. You end up burning through a ton of time. But more importantly, those folks who came in who were wide-eyed and excited by what they were initially recruited into, you're destroying their spirits. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's such deep work. Yes. Um, it's really all about awareness. It's all about adding value to other people. It's, it's all leadership. I put out a, an episode called The Plank in My Eye. And I like where you're going here. Yeah. And it was about, you know, this particular topic. And I grew up, you know, in a Latino home. Both my parents were very racist. You know, my father was, I don't care who you marry as long as he's not black or Dominican. My husband was a Dominican. My son is black. And my brother dated just black women but we were very rebellious <laughs> but that kind of stuff has a hold like it does something it you know you you're yes. in that type of environment and in one particular situation i saw what was in my heart like it came up hmm. and what i did with that like once it came up i was first of all shocked 
Second, it broke my heart. I got on my knees. I prayed. Um, But I was also thankful that I was able to see it because the scripture goes first, take the plank out of your eye so that you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yes. Then and only then was I able to address those issues around my immediate family. And with love, and it wasn't judgment. It was a different thing. Why? Because I saw that in my own heart. And then I was able to have compassion. And these people don't even see it. She doesn't even recognize that she just said that. And bring it, bring that awareness with a lot of love. And so that was my experience with it. And I share it in a podcast because at a time where we were calling each other racist and we were just so angry, I remember that. You know, I'll always remember that, that it starts with me. It starts with me looking at me. But can I throw something at you? Because I completely agree with everything you're saying without even asking what exactly happened. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that you were able to recognize what was happening because you'd had enough experiences to know that what was said, what was done, it was incongruent with what you knew yourself to be, right? Or incongruent with your values, with your system of beliefs. Is that fair? Yeah. And it was something I'll never forget. And it's what what you do with it. You know, Um, you're you're human, you see it, you forgive yourself, you become aware of it Mm -hmm. and then you change it and you move on, but you also help other people. Yes. That was the first time I ever understood that scripture. Yes. Take that plank out of your eye before you can take that speck out of your brother's eye, at least in that context. It's called the speck in your eye. It's one of the episodes. You know, I can't wait to check it out because I think that fuels something else is that it's so easy to point fingers, right? It's so easy to judge in the moment without recognizing that we all have our stuff that we're dealing with, yes. right? Yes. And I've read so many books about Dr. King and watched so many. I mean, YouTube's a powerful thing because it's amazing even the historical clips you could find on folks. And it used to drive me crazy when I would see people that I know on Facebook, um, usually conservative folk, who would on MLK Day would post uh, some MLK quote. So they're honoring MLK. Or if there's a protest that happens, they're so quick to bring up some out of context Martin Luther King quote around peace, around love. But then for 364 days, what I'm seeing is them talking negatively about anybody and everybody who's not white and who's not male, Mm. right? But to go to them and say, hey, I think you might have an issue with race. They will say to you, no, I don't. I love Martin Luther King. I don't see color because again, it's the brain working. It's the brain doing the spin, right? Saying, I love Michael Jordan. (laughs) They They can find all these things that basically confirms why they're not what you're accusing them of being. But I think that what we need to get to a point of is recognizing that we're all a mess. We're jacked up, yes. Right? We are, we are one colossal mess. Right. And you have this country, the United States, which is still this great democratic slash republic experiment. And you're taking people who don't quite understand other folks And now you're blending them all together and saying, we need to get along, right? You know, it's so interesting because what you were saying about your parents and what they told you, you can marry anybody, just don't marry anybody black or marry anybody Dominican, right? 
I've heard that my entire life, whether it was friends that I had, whether it was girls that I dated, who would legitimately say that my parents said, I can hang out with you because you're different. But the moment that I demonstrated my blackness, that's when it was met with, you know, I thought you were different, but you're not. Mm. Right? Mm. What they're effectively saying is, I thought you were like us. Mm. Because us is the standard, whoever us might be, whether it's white people, whether it's Latinx, whether it's African-American, whatever the case might be. And again, that gets back to the muddled mess that we are, because we're all just trying to figure it out. I love talking to you. I only got to my first question. Oh, you're good. You're good. We, I think we could talk for hours. You're awesome. <laughs> so where can we connect with you? What's your website? Uh, my website is HireGCI.com. So www.HireGCI.com. We are officially blue checkmark verified on Facebook as well as on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter at Labor Diversity, on LinkedIn. I think it's Jason Dackerier. Instagram as well. Okay, fantastic. All right. So as a lifelong learner, Jason, uh-huh. what are you learning right now? Whew, man, you had to ask me that question. <laughs> oh, it. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm learning honestly about myself because I'm called in these situations. Uh, I was having a conversation with my wife on Friday because I was with a client who was having a lot of issues that were going on within their workplace. And I'm recognizing that in the process of doing what I do, so you have the diversity side, you have the employee relations side, you have the labor relations side, it's all fueled by dealing with human issues. And the problem is that for me at times is that I deal with so many human issues, but it's other people's issues that internally it just grows into like this groundswell of stuff that grows within myself and I don't release it. So you're highly intuitive. I'm highly intuitive, highly empathic. And um, I think my face reads, hey, I can talk to you about anything. And they do. And I love it. That's why they call me the employee whisperer. And I love it. The problem was I was never releasing. Yes. Right. And so what ends up happening is you ever seen like those charity drives where they have like the the levels, right? Like we hit 5,000 and we hit 10,000 and we hit 20,000 with whatever the eventual goal is. That's sort of how my emotional self was getting filled like up. Like a thermometer? Mind. Right, exactly. And then like in cartoons, that thermometer goes up and then it explodes, right? So if I'm learning anything, I'm learning more about how I show up. But also I'm learning more about how to create effective coping mechanisms so that I can be not only good to other people, but then I can also be good to myself. Yeah. Because when we talk about the role of leadership, Man, if you're not good to yourself, you'll never be good to other people. Because you know what? Being a leader is not easy. Sometimes it sucks that you have to be the adult in the room all the time. Yes. My wife and I, we went to um, Costa Rica for 12 days for vacation. It's just there, by the way. What part of Costa Rica were you? I don't know. It was in a resort. I got swooped away with my friend who was turning 60. So I I didn't even look on a map. I just went. (laughs) So basically you and I have the same brain because I actually had to ask my wife the day before we left, where in Costa Rica are we going? Because I keep telling people I'm going to Costa Rica and they go, okay, what part? I'm like, uh, Costa Rica? <laughs> right? I don't, I don't oh, know. Somewhere. Yeah. You know, some part, either the Costa or the Rica part, we're going to be someplace, right? So we're in Manuel Antonio and it was incredible experience, but I worked every day. 
And I tried to tell myself that, okay, as long as I work in the mornings, it's going to be okay. But I'm consistently checking email, but it's because I had consultants who were out in the field. And so I think that's one aspect of not just being a business owner, but also being a leader is that you train your people to be as autonomous as possible. Right. But even as a leader, your mind and your attention never turns off because you're directly responsible, not just for the work product, but you're responsible for the people who are doing the work. That's right. Especially when you care about not just their ability to do the work, but also their well-being. I mean, your mind and your heart never turns off. Yeah. So I hope you didn't go during rain season because I know it's sunny in the morning and in the afternoon, there's a downpour. We did actually. We were there May 17th through May 29th. Okay. But the weather is, it would rain and then you have like hours of just, it's clear. I mean, it's overcast, but you're still getting burnt up because that sun is hot. Right. So, okay. When you think of leadership today, Jason, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? Great question. What most concerns me is that I feel like there is this new crop of leaders. And this isn't a generational thing because I see this happen regardless of age across the board, but that there's this new group of leaders who are being trained on the metrics of making money, but not the metrics of understanding the hearts and minds and spirits of the people who help them to make the money. So there's this constant push of leaders having to meet the needs of their shareholders. There's this constant push of sort of the rock star leader who loves to look good. uh, They're crushing it. I don't sleep. You know, there's 24 hours in a day and I work 23.5 hours a day, right? And I'm just crushing it. I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's a celebrity of leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't have leaders who sort of work their way up through organizations so that they understand the pain points that go with the janitor, the pain points that go with the person who sit in the cubicle, the pain points who goes with the single mother who's trying to figure out childcare in the midst of having to work at home while also trying to figure out how to make sure that their kids, that they can bolster their Wi-Fi signal so that their kids can do distance learning because of COVID. My concern is that we have leaders who are great about crushing it, but really suck at empathy. Right. (laughs) Okay. And I get that. So what are you hopeful about? Everything. Everything. Right. (laughs) I mean, I live in the state of when I start feeling negative about something, I wonder what's wrong with me. So that's the state that I live in. Okay. So when you ask me what am I hopeful for, I believe that we have this tremendous thing called choice and we can choose to be better, but we can't choose to be better until we know better. And so that's why I'm always going to stay hopeful because I think everybody is just one degree away from learning a valuable lesson that's going to change their perspectives on something. So we have this new generation, the baby boomers and the Gen Xers who that I fit into, I think I fit into right? Want to make fun of the millennials, want to make fun of whatever the generation is after the millennials. And they want to say, man, they're lazy, they're this, they're that. They have changed the world of work to the point where we have this thing called the great resignation, which is now fueling companies to actually, you ready for it? Demonstrate that they care about people. (laughs) So I'm excited about the whole thing. 
Yep. It's a beautiful thing if we're really, really consciously aware of what's really going on and how we can learn from each other as we add value to each other, as opposed to, you know, tearing each other down. And so it's a constant work, right? So, so we, we come to a question from a former guest. So here we go. Simon Severino wants to know, what are three things that make you happy on a bad day? Oh, man. I love that question. What are three things that make me happy on a bad day? The fact that tomorrow is not that far away. The fact that I'm alive. I'm so alive that I can actually experience a bad day. And I've lived enough life to know this too that I've had so many good days that <laughs> this is an anomaly. And man, what an awesome chance for learning. Mm. Wow, that's great. All right. So as a listener of this podcast, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious about? Why you? Everybody wants to be a leader these days, because that's the thing that we say that, you know, we got to be the alpha, right? The alpha male, the alpha female. But why you? What do you think makes you a leader? Why do you think people should follow you? And more importantly, what exactly are you going to do in terms of sowing seeds into the lives of the people that do follow you? Beautiful question. I love it. Love it. Love it. I glean these amazing questions from great leaders. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. Your podcast is awesome. Okay. And so that's what I'm going to share with your listeners. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep asking the tough, but loving questions and Please follow me on social media. Let's have some fun. Let's have some conversation. I could talk about diversity. I could talk about employee relations all day long. I'm living my passion. So that's how I know life. <laughs> Spoken like the employer whisperer that you are, the employee whisperer that you hey, are. Hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, you know, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been so much fun, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. You are awesome. I love your interview style, so keep it up. Thank you, Jason. Bye. Hey, take care. Bye. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.